Stefan Sauk. There are stories waiting to be told. I mean, life is, life is happy. You have one body. You have one body, you have one life. Mm. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Okay, so today I have the great honor to speak with Stefan Sauk. Actually, when I started reading about him and his resume, I thought about my wife. What? When we were watching Miss Saigon in London. And I see that you actually won the gold mask as best male musical artist 1998. I had no idea. So... Welcome, professional artist, <laughs> Stefan Sauk. Professional actor, yeah. No, that's true. Musical mm. artist, yeah. Mm. I played the engineer, which is uh, the main character of the show, mm. uh, the pimp. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm considered as a very serious actor. I had never done anything uh, musical. Uh, I had never been singing professionally either, uh, only in the shower. Uh, with joy and mm. happiness. Uh, and well, no neighbors knocking on the door afterwards. <laughs> I, I, I live in a bunker, so, so they don't hear me. <laughs> when they asked me, I thought there was a prank. We have a TV show in Sweden where you try to prank celebrities or famous people in different ways to fool them. So I thought it was a prank. So I took the motorcycle up. I, I postponed the meeting when they asked me if I wanted to play in Miss Saigon at the Theatre Jotaleon in Stockholm. I got suspicious immediately and I thought maybe there's a gas leak or something in that part of Stockholm or maybe they've done something, uh, they got something in their nose that made them high and happy. And, and called you. <laughs> that's what I assumed, you know, I thought. So I postponed the meeting uh, so I had the, the weekend to do some intelligence, you know, with my connections. And I could not figure out because they had tried to catch me before and they did not succeed. I, I always um, revealed the, the prank before. So I took the motorcycle and I kept the helmet on and with a screen down, you know, and came up and said, hey, my name is Stefan Sauk. And I looked for the cameras. I saw no cameras. There were five people, very serious people in the room from Norway. Hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Then I had to excuse myself. Sorry, I, I thought it was a prank. No, no, no. I usually come to my is... meetings with a helmet on and the yeah, visor. Well, you know, and, and they laughed and they said, well, so no, 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 no. This is for real. <laughs> and then I realized then we uh, we did the singing test. I was a bit concerned about the, the long notes, you know. What's that I smell in the air? The American dream. You know, hmm. usually musical artists, they, they, they hang on the tongue with a with a vibration in, in their voice. And, and you have to train a lot of years to get that. I could sing, I have a voice, yeah, but mm, I'm an actor who takes a tone or takes a note or sings sometimes, you know. So um, originally the, the, the part is written for Jonathan Price, 
It's written for an actor who can sing. And then I went to London to see the show there. And when I saw the show in London, the guy playing the, the, the main character there, um, he did like this. What's that I smell in the air? The American dream. He just cut it. Oh. So, ha, he just cut it up. Ah, he's kicking, cut the note. I will cut the note too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, and then I w went back home and said, okay, I can do it. He cuts the notes. And if I can cut the notes, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, that part, the engineer, when he comes on stage, the orchestra goes berserk, like someone just threw 10 basketballs down in the orchestra ditch. And I have to hit the note like that. Hmm. I did not realize that, how difficult it was. And that's, um, it would be professional uh, musical artist guys and, and girls said to me, oh man, you don't know what you're doing. No. Well, why? What do you mean? I mean, if you knew how difficult the things you do are, but you will be scared. <laughs> you know, usually my guests are a little bit prepared as to which subject to cover and, and you did not want that. So I, I oh, have, no, no. had no idea where this is going. No? Neither do you. It goes both ways. But then th this was the whole idea with this pod using my experience talking to people and, and seeing how it goes. And, and so far, I, I've had a great story. I am sure most Swedes know who you are, at least those in my age. Why is that, you think? Why are you so well-known? What, what have you done? Well, we did a TV show in the beginning of the 90s called Lorre. Mm. And there was a little, a little four-minute gap in that program where I came up alone in front of a camera. The camera was still, and I was moving in front of the camera going, up to it and, and talking. We worked a lot on the text. And then I locked myself in to a room, an empty room with a camera on a tripod and uh, started to improvise with the text. And after a day, I came out with something. We looked at it and we said, okay, we do that. And then we changed the camera to another camera. It was called Tilfillet Abrot, which um, Temporary, uh, what do you call it? Intermission. Hmm. Temporary intermission. There was something in TV. The signal was broken. There was a, uh, like that, you know. Yeah, screen with intermission. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we, we, we fooled around with that. And that became very, very popular. And I had some sayings in that program that became in every man's mouth, like a saying. Yeah. So everybody was walking around saying a line that I said. That was one show. 94, I did Hamilton, Vendetta, which is the Swedish equivalent to James Bond. Mm. This recording will self-destruct in five seconds. So I played that character in a movie at a TV serial co-production between Sweden, Germany, and Italy. It takes place in Sicily uh, with a mafia. And then I continued doing things. I had done big things before that, uh, but uh, that really made me known to everyone in Sweden. Now I am still known, but if you come to the younger generation, the only thing is when you talk with them, they don't know who I am. And they say, aha, they're making a 
and I say, what did you just say? Well, I don't know, they make it That must be great, you know, to be the origin of something yeah. like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I wish the listener could watch Stefan's faces he's doing in the camera right now. Unfortunately, I can't uh, produce that in the pod. My first real acquaintance with you was actually uh, you being a, a book reader. Usually I listen to... English audiobooks because I, I think that those uh, readers are re really being good. But you stand out in Sweden, I think, and you were voted the best speaker or reader. And I can actually read something they wrote. They said, Stefan Sauk interprets and shapes in an intelligent and theatrical way. The story is twisted and bent but never breaks. The characters are sketched, but then twisted by Stefan Salk. The police work is carried out in an authentic way, and the murders are depicted with a balanced distance. The reading gives life to many characters in a way that really works. Wow, where did you read that? Oh, you, you know, my patients call it Dr. Google, but they don't have only <laughs> medical things. It was some kind of award you got from a, a magazine, I think. Okay, nice. The story that I listened to was a gruesome story about the psychopath and killer. And you really, really made me dislike this guy. He lived in, you know, the posh part of town, which we kind of already dislike <laughs> before having yeah. to listen to them. But I actually thought about when, when you read these horror stories that are really, I mean, bad people, do you get affected in any way that you think that, oh, this, this is a is a bad book. I don't like the contents. Or are you being really professional about it? H how do you work? Well, I, the, the, the simple answer is yes. I try to be professional about it. It gets to me, you know. I mean, you're talking about the book called A Nestan Vanlig Man and uh, Almost an Ordinary Man. It was the first book in that uh, rack of books uh, was, was very good, I thought, because it was very plausible. It could happen. For that reason, it became very, very exciting, exciting mm. and, and frightening because it could happen. It was very, very well written. Well, the story was uh, interesting. Anyway, then after that, the books about that character, uh, the authors realized that, oh, this was making money. Good. <laughs> they they started to reproduce, you know, and, mm -hmm. and write a lot of books. And they got worse and worse and worse. In the end, they were so bad. And they were very popular. That, But I was stuck with that character. So if I would have said, no, I don't want to read this anymore because I think it's too bad now. Mm. It, if I would have said that, the audience who loved the books would say, what's the matter with Salk? Mm. Uh, has he gone posh or what? Mm. We love the book. We love the character. And so I was stuck with that. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, it's a funny, it's a good feeling. It's nice to hear that people say, oh, I don't give a shit what kind of book you read as long as it's you that reads it. I don't, I don't listen to anyone else. Okay, well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I take it to my heart. Mm. Um, but the next thought in my head is, oh, I have to start thinking about what I read. I can't read... 
any shit book <laughs> because that I, I'm going to be tainted of that. It's going to smear off on me. So you read the books before you say yeah, yes. Before you I want say to know yes. What, yeah. yeah, I have to do that now. Now I have to do that because I realized that the publishers tended to send first-time writers to me. They thought, well, it doesn't matter if Sark reads it. It's going to get a lot of, of, of listeners. You started. know, you're talking to a first-time writer, so be careful. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, the thing is, with uh, I've been doing first-time writers uh, who are very good. I mean, Pascal Engman, uh, his books are very well written and they are good. So I have not a problem with that. I, I must tell you that I've been in contact with him because I listened to his book, Cocaine. And actually, the, the worst thing was that you had a, a character who talked, uh, or if it was Smolenska maybe. But the thing was, you sounded exactly like someone I know. And I got the picture of this person in my head every time. And you changed between all these accents all the time. I, I always say it's like being between going to a movie theater and, and reading yourself. Uh, an audio book really gives you something special. But I talked to Pascal or texted him and he agreed, uh, I think, to be on this pod as well later on. Now he has yeah. other things to do. But it's kind of a nice connection here talking to you first and maybe him, <laughs> the author later on. But it was a real good book. It, it was scary for someone like me. Um, Ukraine is a, is a very well-written book and it's a scary document of our time at the moment in Sweden. Mm. And actually, you have talks on YouTube called uh, in, in the head of Stefan Sauk, Huvudet på Stefan Sauk, where you talk about, I think, the, I don't know, the discrepancies between reality and what politicians say they see or, or do. And you call yourself uh, being politically outside or neutral. Is that a somewhat reasonable description? Uh, what nourished your mind to engage yourself like that? If if you stand out like that, people are either loving you or hating you, I guess. Oh, yes. You you are talking... Um, Stefan Sack, in the head of Stefan Sack, was actually a pod, a video. Mm -hmm. We made three, uh, three, three of them as a try, um, like a pilot thing. Mm -hmm. And what you are talking about, I call it tillfälligt utbrott. Oh, that's a kind of pun for the tillfället yeah. avbrott we talked about. Okay. Tillfället utbrott in Norge. We were talking about the same things. We have the same brains. I have the same brain now as I had then. But at that time, the cultural roof in Sweden for what you could say and what you could not say in television or in radio or in paper was a lot higher at that time. Since then, it has been sinking, so now it's just above our heads, so we have to bend down a little bit uh, because you can't say, well, soon you can't say anything mm. uh, because we have something called politically, uh, political correctness, which I find is one of the biggest threats against democracy. It started out as uh, I got pissed off uh, on the traffic situation in Stockholm the spring 2018, because we have an uh, environmental, politically madman in charge here, who is really destroying the whole Stockholm area uh, uh, with his 
stupid idea that everybody should be on a bicycle. Is he destroying it for the car drivers? Are we listening to a car driver that uh, just want to drive a big sub through the inner city? I'm provoking. No. We have a high roof here in this pro in this Absolutely. show. Absolutely, you are you are talking to a car driver and you are talking to a motorcycle driver. Hmm. I will not put my ass on a bicycle because I've had prostate cancer work being done, and uh, sitting on a bicycle is not uh, the best thing to do. Hmm. How do you say? Uh, my English is a little bit rusty. It's ineffective in an environmental aspect because the traffic is just stuck. It doesn't move. People tend to spend hours in traffic. And, and uh, we are supposed to be on a bicycle in a country with snow, with uh, shitty weather, eight months a year. We are very close to the uh, Arctic uh, Circle. I mean, if you live in Spain, yeah, sure. Or in Southern Europe, even Holland is, is better. But Sweden, are you kidding me? With icy so, streets? So that's how bicycle? everything started with your Tilfellet Utbrot. The, the... Yeah, it started with that. It started with that. If we talk about environment, um, global warming and so on. I mean, that's a global issue. And we live in a little, 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 clean, clean country, way up north. And we are trying to be the best in the world by putting our asses on a bicycle. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It has nothing to do. It's not even measurable. You can't measure it. It doesn't do any good. And we don't have ring roads around Stockholm. I mean, Austria has three of Wibble or Billy the fourth one. So. It makes it easier to keep traffic out of, uh, out of the city. Anyway, that started these small sequences of not only politics, sometimes it's just humor. Sometimes I just do a character just for fun. Reflections of our time, I would say. Reflections on human behavior. Reflections on political lies and everything uh, that we are uh, showered with in our country, I guess, so in the rest of the world too. I mean, but I live here in Sweden, so I talk about Sweden. And the, in, the interesting thing is a lot of my friends says, uh, come on, Stefan, you can't say that on the internet. Why? Oh, you are nourishing uh, that party SD on the right wing by saying, oh, really? Am I? I don't think like that. So what's the alternative? If nobody opens their mouth and say something about the situation, what's going to happen then? Hmm. If nobody talks about it, what's going to happen then? Hmm. I think today, whatever you talk about, uh, you are playing a certain party, you are favoring them by whatever issue you talk about. Hmm. And what, what are your thoughts about political parties overall then? If I look at the political parties we have in Sweden, I look at it as a smorgasbord. How do you say that? Mm, yeah, smorgasbord. A smorgasbord with, with a lot of dishes, you know, and, and, and you look at the smorgasbord and say, oh, what, what, oh, no, that's not a good one. Uh, I don't like that either. Uh, I can eat a little bit of that, but not the whole dish. And I can eat a little bit of that, but not the whole dish. The party I would like to see doesn't exist. Hmm. If this continues, we will sort of make way for something very bad. And do you think this is uh, a typical Swedish or is it something that we see in the whole world? 
politicians being seen upon as being uh, not really a part of society, but something else that they don't understand what's going on. We hear it from other countries as well. Do you think it's human nature not to like politicians, or is it a, a, a movement in time that w people will look back upon in, in three, four hundred years and say, oh, look what happened in year 2100? I think it's in people's mind to be skeptical against leaders if the leaders are lying. Okay. You understand what I mean? Yeah. I mean, for instance, uh, politicians here in Sweden, and not only here, have created their own sort of class, a political class, full of benefits and good salaries and good pensions. Above that, they've made themselves free from responsibility. So they can do anything. And they don't have to take the responsibility for their actions. And what happens if they do something wrong then? You say no responsibility. Nothing. nothing. Nothing happens. I mean, look at our school minister who uh, made a foul cheat on the PISA uh, thing with the Swedish school. So the result became a lot better. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Mm. We replaced to another top position, like Don Eliasson. From one top position to another top position to another top position. And he's been criticized. Uh, and probably, he's probably the most incompetent clerk we have in Sweden. Well, he's not here to defend himself, so I'll just leave those words. Actually, about having a high roof, I was sitting here thinking, uh, what should I do? Uh, I know that 25% of my listeners are not from Sweden and they're from like the US. And if you say and all these bad words, should I make a and make it? No, I'll just leave it. I mean, you are you. And yeah. We should actually live like we learn. And if I want to hear about someone talking about getting the roof higher, why not let you speak? All right. right? You actually touched a little bit uh, about prostate cancer. I didn't actually yep. know that. So you did have prostate cancer. Yep. Uh, I guess there are some people listening here that are in the age where they should think about this. So I, I just ask very bluntly, was it just a coincidence that you found out or do you do any tests regularly? Do you have any advice for the people out there listening? I was contacted by a colleague to you mm. working at Prostate Cancer Centrum at uh, St. Joran Hospital mm. because they had been inventing another type of test called Stockholm 3. Yes. I was doing some lobby work for them because we have done a lot of good things for women's health. We have women clinics and we are testing women for breast cancer and public screening, you know, everyone should do it. Everyone gets called to do it, but for men, nothing. And there are more men dying from prostate cancer than women on, on breast cancer. So that's a very strange uh, situation. And uh, so they contacted me and I did some little tinfilter prot about that and tried to raise some opinion about it. And they asked me, have you taken your PSA? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, when did you do it? Uh, well, well, a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I said, well, I think you should do it. So, okay, thank you. At the beginning of 2018, I did the test. And it showed that I was in the risk zone. So they wanted to see me for an MRI scan. Yeah. And they did that. And uh, 
they found out that uh, it didn't look the way it should look. <laughs> they did a biopsy, you call it. At the same time, I had a hip problem. So they took care of the hip with a speed of the lightning, waiting for the final result of the biopsy. So I went to Belgium to do my hip because um, they are doing it a lot better than we do it in Sweden for many reasons. So when I came back on uh, crutches, I had a meeting with um, Professor Henrik Rabberg at your hospital and uh, I got the result. I had a prostate cancer. We found it early, so it was curable. Wow, what a story. Uh, I mean, it, is, uh, it, must have, yeah, it must have been a shock for you. You know, you were just doing it for, not for fun, but, you know, just, you know, being at that spot at that time. Yeah. It was a shock. And uh, my state of being at the time was not uh, the best. I mean, I had the hip. Mm -hmm. I went to Belgium. Um, and uh, so... Uh, and I got a first operation there, and that's another ball game that we're doing in Sweden. How how come now when you talk talking about well, it's healthcare? Well, it's a huge difference. I mean, if in Sweden we are doing what we call total hip replacement, that means that you cut off your leg. Uh, I can't show you here. <laughs> if you Sideline. scream a lot, we think that you cut your leg. It's good in audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You cut your leg and you throw away uh, the little hip bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And put a, a spike down to the bone, and with a little with a little ball, a smaller ball on, and then you put a plastic thing in your pelvis and, and smack it together. And to do that, gluteus maximus, which, which is a, a big muscle in your bottom, in your mm -hmm. butt, they just cut it like that to to be able to do it. And then we use chikung chikung. Uh, metal uh, clamps instead of sewing. 25% of all the operations in Sweden have the effect that the legs are not equal. Mm. And you can't do everything. You can't train karate the way I do on a black belt level. There's a lot of things you can't do. But in Belgium, they have something called resurfing uh, hip procedure. Mm. So they, they don't cut off any bones. I have metal on metal, and there's, it's the same size as, as my, my natural one. If it turns out bad in 10 years, I can do a reverse. I can do another operation because I have everything left. And uh, they do it in another uh, a totally different procedure. It's more fine, delicate uh, operation technique. Anyone who is going to do this operation has to go uh, at least two, three, four hundred operations beside uh, a doctor who can do it hmm. uh, because it's a fine art to do it right. So what is your function now then? hundred percent, hundred percent. I can do things that, uh, better than I did before. And there are no limitations. I have no limitations whatsoever. I can still run black there. belt in karate. Yeah, sure. I train still. Hmm. I third down. Yeah. In Japanese, we say sundown. Each son. So I'm third down karate in, uh, and I'm uh, shodan, first down uh, black belt in Aikido. Mm. Well, well, sounds like something that you wouldn't be doing with a hip prosthesis uh, done in no. Sweden, maybe. I no. don't know. 
No. You have yeah. the uh, the Finnish hockey player, Masi Mariameki. Mm. He did this operation. He is uh, playing uh, professionally in Moscow now. Uh, you have Jean-Claude Van Damme, who did the uh, epic split be between two Norris. Yeah. One year before that, he did the same operation, the same surgeon as I did in Ghent, in Belgium. You don't think it's about cost? Because, I mean, the no, people you no, are, are talking no, about are no, paying no, well, I guess? No. no? Uh, pff, that is uh, real nonsense because the cost is the same. The actual cost for the operation is act actually the same. Hmm. Uh, so it's all about education. If you want to educate yourself, the Swedish Association for Doctors reported the Swedish government to the EU Commission in October 2019 because Sweden did not live up to uh, the standard of continuing educating the doctors in the country, hmm. which have uh, as an effect, Swedish patients are treated sometimes with methods that are ancient. That is rather uh, word by word in their, in their report. And that's rather serious. And this is just one example. Did anything happen? I'm, I'm actually not aware of that. Uh, did anything happen after that rib complaint? You can just Google Svenska Läget Bundet Anmälan. Nothing happened. One paper in Sweden wrote about it. Kikhanstad mm. Posten. That's not wrong. the biggest one. Yeah. So one paper wrote about it. You can Google it. It's not that we have bad doctors in Sweden. We have a system that doesn't work. That is very clear. I mean, we have lines. Uh, people waiting in line uh, for getting their things done. I, I mean, whatever it is. Hmm. It doesn't exist in, in other countries. They don't have these lines in, in Belgium for no. replacements? No. no, not in Germany, not in France, not in Italy, not in Spain. The, those lines we have, I mean, I talked uh, to a German doctor, I said, what? Why do you have lines? Why do we have people waiting in line for, for, for uh, an operation? Why? Sweden? Are you kidding? They can't understand it. Yeah, we don't know that. We think that Sweden is so good. We were. We were. You are working in a, in a hospital that actually works. I mean, before the pandemic, the, th uh, the other big hospitals in Stockholm were, were uh, in, in a big, deep crisis before the pandemic. Landrinsjukhus, Karolinska and Söderjukhuset were all in, in a high alert because there were problems with staff and, and too much to work, too little personnel. Blah, 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 blah. Only one hospital worked. That's St. Georg. I'm glad you said that. I didn't ask you to say it. But, but that's yes. true. That's mm -hmm. true. And St. Georg is the biggest emergency hospital in Sweden. After the pandemic, things have shifted, unfortunately. So now we... But the thing is, we are blaming the pandemic now. But the, the truth is, it was catastrophe before the... It was a total catastrophe before the pandemic as well. And then came the pandemic. You know, it's double catastrophe. Mm. You have been uh, kind of criticizing the Swedish way of dealing with the pandemic as well. What we read uh, in Swedish newspapers uh, is that, well, some people say that Sweden is not that much different from the rest of the world, and some say that we are doing disastrous things. The only thing I'm thinking is that Sweden is so small, so no one actually 
bothers what we do or what we do not do actually but if we would go into the pandemic strategy and i know that you have said some things about that what, what are your thoughts so far we don't know the end of it yet but um, you say strategy oh. we did not have a strategy we we did what we call in swedish laga efter läge that means we did what we could with what we had we had nothing we had no preparation we had no clue and we said no 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 this is not so dangerous and and it will not come to sweden if it comes to sweden it will not be so so severe that's what Johan Kepler Karlsson said uh, on the spring 2020 that's 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 um, it's amazing but we did we learn really... anything from from uh, i mean it's been one and a half years since then did we get better no well we got the stuff now we got uh, masks i mean it took a year for us to realize that might be good to put a face mask it took a year i mean it's common logic if i spit in the camera now you know but if i put up my hand in front of my mouth and spit it will not reach you Hmm. This is a visual example, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very obvious. We did not have any any preparation for anything. And I said that uh, half a year before when we had the first snow, 2019. And and I was uh, doing a little thing and I said, oh, I hope, I hope nothing happens to this country because we have no preparation for anything. I mean, the snow comes every year. We are unprepared every year and then came the pandemic and there was no preparation we hadn't stashed any stuff we gave away a lot of stuff so we had nothing do you think we will learn anything from this whole episode when the pandemic is over because you said there is no responsibility in the end of course we will learn something but the thing is for being able to learn, you have to admit the mistakes you've done. And then that's a problem. We never admit what we do wrong. So there might be a problem there. The whole country could just go up in flames and say, no, well, we didn't see uh, it coming. <laughs> we did not do anything wrong. You're actually touching on a subject that one of my previous guests, the Dr. Michel Tagliati, he said, that uh, it's very hard to have an argument in Sweden because we have to agree on everything. And, and that's actually what you say also. You, you call it yeah. that the roof is not high enough anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that might be uh, something in that sense then, I guess. It is. Yeah. Th that's a little bit of a, a cultural thing. When a big company like a multinational company shall, shall go into Sweden and work, they make research. How does the Swedish people work? What's the social culture there? Mm. And one of the things everyone comes up with is the consensus thing. We have to agree on everything. Mm. And things cannot get personal either. So that's why we think that other nationalities are so strange when they kind of seem to shout at meetings or not being um, agree on. on... Yeah. We also have a tendency to speak with a low voice. Listening to people working together, like you see a, a bunch of people in the lunch restaurant. Oh, so what are you going to do tonight? Oh, yeah, that's very nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah, yeah. 
what are you going to do in, of Christmas? You're going to travel? Oh, that's nice. Yes, yes, yes. If one comes, I'm going to do this. <laughs> now, I wasn't in, uh, in Copenhagen in the days between Christmas and New Year's Eve. We call it Mellandogger. I don't know what you call it in English. But, and, and in Sweden, we have uh, a sale, the classical uh, sale between Christmas and New Year's Eve. So uh, me and a girlfriend went to Copenhagen and thought, oh, we're going to have some nice days here. But the Danish people, they leave town and the town is closed. So we came to a closed town, Copenhagen. But we were walking in the nighttime after a late restaurant uh, visit. We were walking in empty streets there. And suddenly from a 7-Eleven shop, uh, I heard high voices. It, to me, it sounded like there was a fight or a, or a severe argument going on in there. And I thought, uh, okay, so... I looked at my girlfriend's shoes, high heels. I said, oh, okay, if she, will, if she needs to run, the best thing is to run. You don't have to engage in a fight. All these thoughts went to my head. Uh, I'm a good runner. She's a good runner without shoes. I thought, well, we'll see what happens here. And I looked into the shop and there was no, no argument. Just some happy Danish people. <laughs> you know, as a Swede, we think that when people come from other cultures to Sweden and, and they have a totally different way of, of speaking and uh, body language and everything, and, and uh, we find it, well, uh, what is this? Not afraid, but uh, at unease, I would say. Well. So uh, in your professional life, what is the thing that you are most happy about or proud about? I mean, you've done so many things. I, I know you're not finished, but are there any things that you now can look back upon and say, wow, that was great? I think it's more than one thing, actually. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've done so many things and um, uh, in different times in my career as well. I mean, we did Laurie, that was good. We did Hamilton, that was cool. You, you mentioned Miss Saigon. That was a huge uh, job and a huge uh, challenge for me because I hadn't been singing. And that is not, <laughs> that's not an easy, easy thing to do. Do you have any projects ahead or something that you really would like to do that you haven't been doing so far? Many. There are stories waiting to be told. There are some manuscripts in the drawer I've always been writing. I have one story that I really would like to do, but it's, it's a huge project. It's an international film project about poaching of rhinos in Africa. Mm. I started a school in Nairobi for children who lost their parents in AIDS. So I've been a lot to Kenya. We started that school for, uh, let's say, it's seven, 18 years ago, and uh, it's still rocking. We had 50 kids who would not uh, survive if they did not come to that school. Wow, that's great. Uh, do, how do you finance that? Do, are there donations or? Donations. Hmm. Now it's an organization in charge of the project in Sweden. I am just a senior advisor, I would say. I take part of my salary to go to the school. I spent a lot of time in Tanzania also and uh, South Africa. I did some safari guide training in South Africa. 
together with an old ranger called Les Brett, who was a ranger in the South African army before. He uh, encountered newly poached rhino with a horn chopped off, mm-hmm. leading to death. He got so touched by this scene that he, he quit his work in the army and started developing anti-poaching teams in South Africa. So what are you go- going to do today then after this chat? Anything fun? Karate? Maybe, I, maybe I'll do a short till Philitude Trot. <laughs> oh, of course you will. <laughs> that would be And excellent. then I will have uh, lunch with my friends, uh, mm-hmm. which I have on a daily basis. We're a bunch of guys uh, meeting for lunch almost every day, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. And then I will go into the studio and continue uh, reading a book, I'm, a novel I'm reading at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, health is not only the physical part. Uh, having lunch with your friends, it's so important to keep very your health. So that's very good and, and a good advice to all the listeners as well. Keep your health, but not only the physical one, but the mental one. Keep active. I mean, life is, life is happy. You have one body. You have one body, you have one life. Mm. Well, I, I started out with saying I, I had no idea where this talk would be leading, but at least I have had a very interesting talk. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm very uh, happy to uh, have you with us, Stefan, and, and uh, so glad that you took the time. Thank you. Uh, wish you all the best, and I look forward to listening to even more audiobooks in the future. I'll give you a good tip. Yeah. And uh, there is a German author called Sebastian Fitzek. The structure is fantastic. Mm. He's huge in Germany and uh, recently published here in Sweden. Oh, I think we completed this mission. I, I didn't ask you any questions. <laughs> I'm very glad you didn't. <laughs> and that will be in, in another I, part, I, another life. I I have a lot of questions. <laughs> we'll say that afterwards. I need to push the end button now. I get nervous. <laughs> Do it. Thank you. Thank you very much.